Danielle, I can't believe that we have over a million downloads on our podcast. And I think back to when we started the podcast and you were like, Whitney, we have to do a podcast. And I'm like, I don't think we can add one more thing onto our list of to-dos and creations. And you convinced me because we were going to be able to talk to some of the most interesting, powerful minds on the planet. People who are studying everything from antioxidants, metabolism, to the gut microbiome and spirit and how the mind connects to it all. Yeah, it's been a really reaffirming experience, hasn't it? And we come home to this place of food as medicine. I know we each kind of have our own stories on how food became medicine. And if you haven't heard our stories, it's the first episode of the Sakara podcast. The food that we create here at Sakara is designed to transform your gut and your microbiome health. And when you do that, you change everything about who you are. You change your mental health, you change your physical health, you change your spiritual health, you change your cellular health. As you like to say, Whitney, what you eat becomes what you are. Like your body is made up of the things that you eat and drink and think. And what you've learned by listening to our Sakara podcast is that that diversity of ingredients that you're getting into your body changes the diversity of bacteria in your gut, which is the epicenter of your health. And it supports your total body health, not just today, but into the future. And so I want to invite you, if you haven't tried Saqqara before, you deserve to feel good. You deserve to feel nourished in your body. And we are here to help you do that. You can find more details and how to customize your own plan on Saqqara.com and enjoy 20% off your first order of our Saqqara Signature Nutrition Program with code POD. That's code P-O-D at checkout for 20% off your first order. Order now. Today, we're welcoming back Dr. Uma Naidu, who is a Harvard-trained psychiatrist and nutrition specialist. And today, we're going to be talking about her new book, Calm Your Mind with Food. We love how Dr. Uma's nutrition-first approach to psychology advocates for us all to evaluate how the lifestyle and nutrition choices we make impact not only our body, but our mental health. Her new book takes her work one step further with science-backed practical guidance designed to shed some light on what she calls the anxiety epidemic. We'll be talking about how food, gut health, and inflammation all connects to anxiety and chronic mental health disorders, while also sharing some of the tools, strategies, and foods that can help us battle our chronic anxiety and bring more calm into our lives. I think we all could use a little bit of that right now. Please welcome back Dr. Uma Naidu. Dr. Uma, it's great to have you back on the Sakara Life podcast and to be speaking with you again. We've done some Instagram lives together. You're part of our Sakara Science Council. And I just, I absolutely love speaking with you and learning from you every time that we talk. So welcome back. Thanks so much, Whitney. It's always just lovely to chat with you and stay connected around the great work that y'all are doing. Thank you. Well, you know, we start every Sakara Life podcast with the same question, which is, what is your mission 
here on earth? What are you here to do and give? My mission is to help heal mental health in as many ways as I can with the lens being food. Mental health continues to be very stigmatized when we know that rates of different conditions have all increased. Food is one way that we can actually help heal ourselves, something you and Daniel know personally. So it is my mission to try to help people that way. Absolutely. And I, I think it's just, it's an angle that is surprisingly unique in the world of psychiatry. Not too many psychiatrists are looking at food or nutrition as a way to be part of the cure, part of the solution, part of a program or protocol to help support people with mental health. And we talked about this last time. I think it's easy for people to connect the dots between maybe having digestive issues and what they're eating, but not having mental health issues and what they're eating. So I love that you're talking about that. And you actually have a new book out right now. Congrats. Very exciting. Thank you. I do. It's called Calm Your Mind with Food. And Whitney, it's all about really what I saw during the pandemic, which is such a heightened level of anxiety that it felt like the obvious thing to do aligned with my mission is just to try to talk to people about alternatives to just a prescription pad. Because I think that medications and therapy are very important, but I feel like we just need more solutions these days. Yeah, absolutely. And research has shown us that about 70% of individuals actually never see a clinical provider for mental health. So we know that this is a kind of a burden on individuals who are feeling either anxious or depressed or whatever it might be. And do you think they're not seeking professional help because of the stigmas around it? Or do they feel like maybe they can, it's something that they just need to muscle their way through and figure out? What do you think are the reasons? It's tough to know. I think it's a combination of access, but also stigma. Perhaps not knowing that a person can get help for how they're feeling, sometimes just not identifying that it is a mental well-being issue. Even with telehealth services, this continues to be a problem. We also know that one of the things people don't often realize is that even before COVID, anxiety was the most common mental illness in the United States and, in fact, the rest of the world. A very significant journal article in Lancet showed that anxiety has increased by 25% since the pandemic. So we know that we're dealing with an issue that, to be honest, we're not finding enough solutions to. Interesting. So thinking out of the box becomes important. And so in your book, Calm Your Mind with Food, your first chapter really dives into the anxiety epidemic, as you call it. Can you tell us a bit more about it? You said it's increased 25% since the pandemic. And you talk about that really there are three contributing factors. There are biological factors, psychological factors, and social factors. I'd love to dive into those three different things that go into anxiety. Sure. That's a great way to kind of frame our understanding of anxiety, because it can be confusing and there's so many different definitions flying around. But, you know, I would think that 
psychosocially, we know that the pandemic had so many restrictions, so much that happened to us in terms of being fearful of even grocery store shelves being empty. There was a lot that went on, and I would actually expect that many people are continuing to live with that. Psychosocially, there was also loneliness. Sleep quality was so poor that we even started to call problems with sleep coronasomnia instead of insomnia. The gyms were closed. People were getting by having an extra glass of wine at night. So socially, there were several issues. Psychologically, it was a very traumatic experience for many people, whether it was watching the news and being really scared and being afraid and having so much angst about what was going on. It was just also traumatizing to us from a medical standpoint, from an emotional standpoint as well. And then biologically, you know, there are the things around just the conditions that we come into the world, we come in with our genetics, there's neurochemistry of how neurotransmitter in our body and our brain have some imbalances, chronic disease and nutrition plays a big factor in the biological. And I would say that, you know, one of the things that happened in the pandemic was that many processed food sales increased and they continue to remain increased throughout this time. And that was definitely one thing that impacted what we were eating. So a lot of things contributed to this. And I want to dig deeper into the biological piece of this, but you said something that I want to take a step back and around this idea of defining anxiety. I've experienced anxiety in my life and what it feels like inside of my body. But I think that some people might be thinking, wondering, like, do I have anxiety if I have nervousness or maybe just some worrying thoughts? Is that anxiety or is it a physical sensation? Or how do people define anxiety? Well, you know, in mental health, we have a diagnostic and statistical manual used by mental health professionals to offer a diagnosis. But what I want to do is step back from that and actually talk about the human experience because people may, in fact, as I did my research and continue to see patients, I feel as though people experience it in different ways. And it's important to be able to identify that it could be anxiety. It can actually present as really poor sleep. It can also present as a feeling of overwhelm during the day that comes on from nowhere. A feeling of sweaty palms, a heart that is racing, feeling almost dizzy or nauseous because just it's almost an overwhelming feeling, like a tide that takes over. It can also be in the morning when you wake up, waking up with a pit of worry in your stomach or angst, being so afraid to get your day started, not being certain of what's going to happen. It can be so many different almost bodily and physical effects. It can also be just mentally overwhelming. So many racing thoughts in your mind that you can't get to your first task of the day. So I think Understanding that something may be amiss and something may be an issue that you want to get help for, whether it's with a mental health professional, whether it's talking to your primary care doctor, therapist, all of these are good interventions. Maybe it's even just checking with a friend to see what you might do to get yourself some help. These are important in sort of that identification of what's going on. Yeah, and that you that there is help to be had, that if you're experiencing these types of feelings or experiences that you don't just have to live with it, that there are things that can help and things that don't, you know, the only answer doesn't have to be just 
medications, prescription drugs, but there could be a whole spectrum of solutions to support you along the way. This is exactly correct, because what I practice in my clinic is a holistic and integrated approach. So it's exactly that. It's food and nutrition is one very big pillar of the work that I do, but it's also lifestyle factors. It is sleep. It is hydration. It's spending time outdoors. It's exercise. It's a sense of community, you know, fending off loneliness. It's so many different things. Having not just an exercise that you enjoy doing, but maybe a form of movement that helps you, a mindfulness practice, a breathwork exercise. So it's really all of those things that we want to use and harness to help really heal our mind and calm our worry. Because in fact, many of those things work synergistically. I think for me, I was experiencing anxiety as one of the symptoms that went along with my acne. And it wasn't that my acne was creating anxiety. The acne affected the way that I thought about myself and my emotions and self-talk, but it was different. It was, for me, the same things that were causing the acne was also causing the anxiety within me. And once I was able to heal my gut, support myself through the right nutrition, build up my immune system, my acne started to clear up and my anxiety started to go away. And so I do think that there is a biological component for at least the type of anxiety that I had. And where do you see this connection between gut health and mental health? How does it fit together? It fits together if we start to unpack what the gut microbiome is and what the gut-brain connection is. Because, you know, you are a living proof of that, not only that connection, but the fact that the healing of the gut and other things that I'm sure you implemented, like changes in your nutrition, could really impact a severe skin condition. The gut and brain originate from the exact same cells in the human embryo, and they divide apart to form the gut and brain, but they remain connected by the 10th cranial nerve, which is the vagus nerve which actually acts like a two-way messaging system between these two organs. And I always like to say to people, you know, to sort of unpack the, the gut microbiome and that connection where the gut and brain are connected, also we want to start to unpack the food and mood connection. So I say to people, well, what happens when you have a headache? And they'll say, well, I have a headache. And I say, well, where? And, you know, the kind of thing I'm asking a silly question and say, well, this side of my head or I describe it. And then I ask them what they do. I take a pill, I sip some water, and I swallow the pill, and I hope my headache goes away. And then I say, but the headache is in your head. You know, how does that work exactly? And then, you know, you start to sort of see the pieces fill in around the food that we eat gets digested. It interacts with the same gut microbes. And over time, that digestive process of either healthy foods or less healthy foods are good, then going to impact this ecosystem because one organ impacts the other, as well as other parts of the body. The, the gut is related to many different things, as is the brain. But I think just filling in that gap, that understanding of the gut-brain connection is very important because many people just associate the food that they eat with their waistline, the number on the scale, or family history, say, of diabetes. They don't really connect it to maybe a skin condition, to mental well-being, 
to a level of anxiety. Yeah. So what are you seeing when it comes to food and nutrition supporting mental health? What kind of results are you seeing there? I'm seeing some really good results where we tweak a more personalized nutritional psychiatry plan for the individual that I'm assessing. And this actually has evolved over time. My treatment plans used to be, I would say, a little bit more standardized. And now they have become highly personalized because as the research around the gut microbiome has continued, we now understand so much more. We now understand there are certain lactobacilli that are associated with actually helping conditions of anxiety. And research is being done in that way. So now the plan of forming that anti-anxiety nutritional psychiatry plate is about understanding the person's symptoms, what they're eating, what are the things that they've started eating or drinking that may have started to impact their gut microbiome, cause dysbiosis, inflammation, and other conditions that are leading to an increase in symptoms or new diagnosis of symptoms. That all is along a continuum of trying to really solve this puzzle. How much do you think really is gut microbiome? When it comes to anxiety, how big of a role is this playing? Like how important are we talking about here? It's one of the biggest, I would say, drivers in anxiety in terms of conditions like inflammation in the gut, that gut microbiome and the gut-brain connection. 70% of our immune system is in the gut. So it is hugely important. There are several mechanisms that are being researched in nutritional psychiatry. But explaining and understanding the gut-brain connection is really the basis because it really unpacks that food-mood connection. I've seen time and time again, an uptick of symptoms in someone who's newly diagnosed with anxiety, someone who has the anxiety under better control and had a sudden uptick. And very often in my clinic, when we dive deeper into what may have happened, it has been some significant dietary change that may have happened a couple of months prior, but the person has not even realized that they were eating differently of added foods that they don't usually eat and see a significant uptick in symptoms that can be reversed by slow and steady adjustments of that diet back to a healthier whole foods diet. Yeah, when I moved to New York City in my early 20s and was going out and then eating late night pizza, you know, very New York, going to get a slice. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, yeah. that was probably when I had like just like the worst acne of my life and the worst anxiety of my life. Yeah, interesting. It's related because one of the things that happens with these people don't often realize the foods they're consuming that could be driving anxiety again because people are not looking at the food and not thinking about it. And very often we may be consuming a diet soda, we might be consuming lots of pizza or different fast foods or processed, ultra-processed foods and not realizing that, that they're actually driving the anxiety and making things worse. Right. Everything we put into our gut potentially is a gut modulator right? It's Correct. changing yes. the ecosystem and the balance of microbes within our gut. And we speak to so many different doctors and researchers on our podcast, and the gut is just so important. And there are microbes in there that we don't even know what they do yet. Yes. And there's so much that we we don't even understand the importance of these microbes and yet we're affecting them through 
antibiotic usage, antibiotics yeah. in our livestock that then we consume by eating animal products, pesticides on our fruits and vegetables and our produce, which pesticides are there to kill little bugs and our microbes are little bugs. Mm -hmm. And just hearing from you about how dysbiosis, a disruption in the gut, an imbalance in the gut, can lead to different moods or feelings, anxiety, mental health issues. I feel like this is such an important topic of conversation for us all to be talking about, thinking about, understanding, and how our food choices impact mm -hmm. every aspect of our body, including our minds. You're absolutely correct. There's a lot of interesting data going on, like mental health treatment could lie in the use of probiotic strains. We are looking to see that certain, say, pickled and fermented foods rich in certain probiotics actually have certain microbes associated with certain targets in anxiety. For example, lactobacillus rhamnosus targets anxiety through GABA receptors. Bifidobacterium longum helps mitigate cortisol and therefore psychological stress. And I'll give you one more Lactobacillus ruteri diminishes anxiety-like behaviors. So there's almost this direction we're going in that food over time and these strains of bat microbes can be used to manipulate really the alleviation of symptoms. And that's an exciting direction in research in the gut microbiome that I think is very hopeful for people, that there are going to be more solutions through food than we know right now even. And so which foods are you recommending these days? Like what are your top three to five foods to combat anxiety? In the book, I go through a lot of foods, but I condensed a quick list for people by the mnemonic CALM, so C-A-L-M-S. And the C is for colors. In other words, eat those kaleidoscope of colors and the different vegetables and beautiful plant foods that we see, including berries, dark chocolate, extra dark natural chocolate, which is actually a great source of plant-based iron. And it turns out that lots of children and a lot of women of childbearing age have iron deficiency, and we may not even realize it. And iron deficiency in children can actually present as anxiety. But there's another cool thing. Vitamin C is needed for the absorption of plant-based sources of iron, like the type found in chocolate. So I say have an extra dark piece of chocolate and have a piece of clementine with it or a piece of orange to help that absorption. So we want to think about the C's in those ways. And also one of the other C's is chickpeas because they're rich in tryptophan. And then the A, I talk about anthocyanins and ashwagandha and antioxidants. So ashwagandha, you know, has been used in Ayurvedic times for many different conditions, but there's a good amount of evidence for helping and easing anxiety. But it's usually best to take that as a supplement because it tastes very bitter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we love blueberries and anthocyanins from blueberries, super helpful and things that we should keep on hand. L is for liquids because many people may be dehydrated and when you're dehydrated, your anxiety can be high. I've seen people even have a panic attack not realizing that they are overly dehydrated. So just sipping on water, 
having that healthy habit of having a sustainable water bottle with you all day and just sipping on water throughout the day is important. But also, I like to recommend, you know, teas like green tea that can be calming for people and different teas like passion flower to try. So liquids is another important one often overlooked. The last two are easy. M is for more omega-3s. You can get them from plant-based sources like chia seeds and flax seeds. And S is for spices and herbs. Another thing that tend to be in our kitchen we don't often realize are so powerful to help anxiety, to help worry, and that type of thing. So those are some foods to get you started when you go to the farmer's market or the supermarket, but there are many more lists in the book. Amazing. I mean, you just listed off everything in our Sakara Nutrition programs. So <laughs> they're I'm, all I'm feeling good about it. Yeah. They're all and, you know, maybe I'll add one to your L mm-hmm. is the liquid within food. So one of yes. our nutrition mm-hmm. pillars is eat your water. So getting those hydrating foods into your body. Maybe that fits under the L. (laughs) I love that. I'm going to add it. So, you know, hydrating through foods like cucumbers and others that you, the actual food has a a large percentage of water and it's a great way to stay, to stay hydrated or even flavor your water and then munch on the cucumbers. So, Tell me, Danielle, if this is the same for you, but I get so many people writing to me through Instagram mainly telling me about how our probiotic has completely changed their gut, their digestive system, and really their lives. A nice place to start for people who are curious and are also experiencing gut issues is the probiotic. It has three really important things. It has probiotics, it has prebiotics, which are the food that feeds the probiotics, and it has both digestive and systemic enzymes. So digestive enzymes help with food. Systemic enzymes are actually really critical too and not talked about a lot, but systemic enzymes help clean up other parts, the kind of like trash center for debris in your body. How all three work together is really what makes our probiotic just so special. I'm kind of obsessed with enzymes right now. You don't need to be taking... 500 million, billion, trillion CFUs of probiotics every single day to get the impact. You need to be taking the right ones in the right combination that are high quality with the prebiotics, with the enzymes that is going to get you the results that you're looking for. For me, this was part of changing my skin. This was part of clearing and healing my skin was through healing my gut. And yes, it was in combination with our Sakara Nutrition Program. But I think this was the little extra booster that I needed on top of it to really make that difference. You can find more details on Sakara.com and enjoy 20% off your first order of our complete probiotic with code POD. That's P-O-D at checkout on Sakara.com. You also talk about micronutrients. Yeah. You mentioned briefly about the flavanols and polyphenols in these colorful foods. Mm-hmm. I think micronutrients, they're not as commonly talked about as some of the macronutrients. Yes. People want to talk about fat, fiber, protein. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. everybody wants to talk about protein <laughs> these days. But they 
don't want to talk as much about micronutrients, but these micronutrients are really important to overall health and well-being, including mental health. So important to me, you know, one of the things about many of us in the United States is that we may be deficient in things like magnesium. It's important for us to know that these micronutrients that you can actually get from foods or even vitamins are readily available should you need them. And I think that sometimes there's even confusion about what they are. I think you're absolutely right with me. There's a tendency to focus on how much protein am I eating, which is important, or how much fiber am I missing, also important. But when you think about plant-rich foods, and actually when I think about looking at a Saqqara meal, each of the colors and the flavors and the textures are doing so much good for our body and our mind. The colors and textures and diversity of plants are great for the microbiome. They also have different plant polyphenols, but then there's the vitamins and minerals that they have. So avocados rich in things like magnesium and fiber. Plus, it's a healthy fat. My aim with this chapter was to try to explain to people an orange is not just vitamin C and fiber. There's a myriad of micronutrients that it's bringing to your body. So it actually goes back to a similar pillar of Sakara life, but also nutritional psychiatry, which is sort of, you know, eat whole foods. The more that you can eat the actual orange and skip the store-bought orange juice, which has the fiber removed and a lot of added sugar, a lot of what we eat are sort of processed versions of food. And we just need to remind ourselves of that sometime. It's become difficult for people to eat whole foods in today's society because I think we've really moved away from cooking. We have. We've been moved away from cooking our own food. Um, we don't have time to cook our own food anymore. Even going to the grocery store, I think people want to buy ready-made meals and cooking right. has also almost become a luxury where I'll cook if I have time. But it was the reverse, you know, in our, the days of our grandmothers or grandparents. My grandparents were growing their own food. Yes. And yes. nowadays I would consider that to be a luxury to grow your own food. But for them, they grew their own food because they couldn't afford to buy it from somebody else. And they lived out in farmland where there wasn't a lot of options to be purchasing food from other people. So they would grow a big garden. and It was a solution. It was a solution to eating. Yeah. Eat the foods that they grew, especially mm -hmm. throughout the summer. But then also they were drying their foods, can canning and jarring their foods, freezing their foods to eat throughout the winter, but still having those fresh whole foods. Actual food. Actual food available. It's so true because the same thing with my grandmother. I spent a lot of time with her when I was growing up during the day because my mom was at medical school and, you know, she would grow peas. She would grow all sorts of vegetables and lunch would be prepared by helping her go and pluck some vegetables that now when I think about it, it was such a luxury and it was so idyllic because we washed these vegetables and then she would prepare it and we'd sit down and eat it. And I think we've lost a lot of that. And I, I wonder sometimes, how do we find our way back that's also practical because life has gotten so busy, Yeah, but find our way to more whole foods again? I want to start a little herb garden mm. just in a, a potted plant, get a big <laughs> Pot I love and that. just yeah. put in some mint, some basil, some chives, just kind of basic herbs. My husband, his mother, when I would go to visit her, she kept a window box 
outside of our kitchen window filled with mint. And so after dinner, we would all have a mint tea and she would just pull some mint straight out of the little window box out of her kitchen window and put it into hot water. And it was delicious, just so lovely and nice and a great way to get freshness and that life energy of pulling the leaves straight off the plant right there when you eat them that I think is something that's also missing unless you're ordering from Saqqara every day and getting that fresh food. But I mean, for so many people, it is really difficult to get that close of freshness. So I I love the idea of growing some herbs, maybe even a little tomato plant. I Once I tried to grow a tomato plant on my fire escape in New York City, (laughs) it was a disaster, an absolute disaster. But I'm hoping that maybe I'll have a little bit more luck here in Florida growing some some foods on my balcony. Right, with the climate, definitely. And mint, by the way, is very uplifting and actually very calming. It's not only refreshing, it's calming to the mind. And it often gives people, say, in an afternoon when they want to reach for that very luxurious, unfortunately heavily laden with with sugar kind of coffee drink, mint tea, that the fresh mint tea that you just described, will give a very uplifting feeling um, mm-hmm. that can even help things like brain fog because mint contains an antioxidant called luteolin, which has been shown to help brain fog. So I love the idea of when I can get my hands up fresh mint, and I love to make a fresh tea of it. I love to fit it in any any food that I'm cooking. I feel like science these days just, it tells us the things that we've innately known or historically have done, generations of people, like Ayurveda goes back thousands of years and people have been working with food as medicine for all of these years without modern day science telling us how it works, but just people knowing that it does work. But it's interesting now to for all of this science to be coming out, explaining <laughs> the mechanism. The yeah. mechanism and, and that, yes, it, it really does work and this is why. I love the fact that we are learning more as we're doing or trying to live this way. And then it kind of reinforces just the power, something that you lived through earlier on in your life, and you've seen the power of it. If people would experience the power of food as medicine, they would consider this a very big part of how they treat any type of clinical condition that they have. Food is very powerful. Do you touch on the social aspect, the yes. community post-pandemic It still doesn't feel as cohesive and together as we all used to feel. And you mentioned loneliness. Mm -hmm. And how do we break that cycle and those feelings? I think that's a great question because I drew on work that I do in my clinic, but also on things that are spoken about, the power nine from the blue zones, just a sense of community, finding your tribe, having meals together, even just having people that are your supports. And I feel as though with the loneliness that happened during the pandemic, some of that has endured. There was this really important article based on research published in the LA Times a few days ago about how suicide has increased. We know that it's increased post-pandemic, but it's very high in older folk and older people, and there's a big loneliness factor there. Just checking in with each other, making sure that people are okay, having a Zoom 
call if you're having dinner and you find yourself alone at home. Those types of interactions are really hugely key. Humans are social creatures. And I really do like the power nine because it, it speaks to that. Food is a huge pillar, but how you eat, where you eat, mindful eating, how you prepare your food, all of that is so important. Right, that it's not just the ingredients that you put onto your plate, but it's all of the different aspects that go around your meal. That's powerful. Exactly. And all the aspects that go around your meal, even how you eat and how you source your food. Many of these regions grow a lot of their foods. And the ones that consume things like seafood, they're fishing for that. If they're eating beans, they it's part of what they're getting from the earth, from the ground. It's fascinating. And I think that the more we can touch on maybe returning to that sense of community, but also those whole foods that our grandparents used to eat, I think the healthier we will become over time. It makes me think about not just how food affects our minds, but how our minds affect our food. Yes. If I can say that. Yes, yes. The thoughts and the intentions that we have when we are eating, there are these studies done around how what you think about the food affects actually how that food impacts your body. I think there's a, a famous study where these shakes are given to two groups of people. They have the same amount of calories in them, but one group is told that they're super high-calorie, heavy shakes, and the other group is told that they're low-calorie, really light shakes, and the heavy-calorie group gains weight, and the, mm-hmm. the ones that were told it's low-calorie lose weight, even though it's the same amount of calories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So our minds are really powerful tools in our physical well-being and in our lives. You're talking about sourcing the food that you went out and you worked to get the fish or you grew this food. And Mm -hmm. how does that make you feel then about the pride that you're taking that food or the love that you have for that food? Or if you're cooking it and you're simmering the vegetables and how much you then love that food versus if it's just something you're opening up the bag or the box. (laughs) Wow, interesting. It's so different in that those connections, I think, are so important to have a meal that feels nutritious and nourishing to our body and our mind. Research has shown that our mind is very powerful because if we have some sort of difficult emotions, an argument with a boss, uh, some stress at work or stress at home, the microbes start to respond. Yeah. They respond within a few hours. And over time, it could be that they start to impact a change in that gut environment if we continue to be stressed. Of course, it's related to other elements of stress in our body. But the mere fact that they are responding when our mind is stressed, it's fascinating. So I feel like you're absolutely right. It is really that bidirectional connection. One affects the other. I do think that food is, I won't call it the easiest first step in making change, but it feels to me like it's something that is slightly easier to control than mental stress, where if I'm nervous about my work or a relationship Mm -hmm. or these types of external stressors, I feel a bit out of control and that can Mm -hmm. create anxiety. But if you're eating foods that aren't supportive of your health and your gut microbiome, that's something that's more 
if you have the access to it, it's more within your control. You can choose to opt for a plant-rich, colorful meal and reduce the amount of stress that you're putting onto those microbes and onto your body. You really have the power at the end of your fork to control that. You can do a lot to help yourself through these moments. And when you understand how impactful it can be, I think that's when it kind of encourages us to start to make some changes. And then what about the spiritual aspect of anxiety? When I've had anxiety at certain points in my life, it felt to me like it was almost a message telling me that I'm not on the right path, that I'm having resistance to change or, mm-hmm. you know, I think about how much our subconscious mind plays a role in our life, but our subconscious mind can't necessarily just tell us directly like, hey, you need to go do those things. It's sending us messages through our physical body. And do you think that anxiety can be a message from our body or from our subconscious mind? I have seen this and I definitely think that we need to find solutions that are individualized to the human being. And sometimes for a person leaning into their sense of spirituality, it becomes very powerful to calm the mind. Having a mindful practice, it can be non-denominational. It can be part of your spiritual practice. Do you have a mindfulness practice? I do. You know, when I hung up with my grandparents as a child, they taught me yoga and meditation. And so I definitely tap into those. But what I like to share with people is that it's got to work for you. Because sometimes people think that if I'm saying meditation, it has to have a spiritual context. It has to be based in Hinduism or something like that. It doesn't. It can be what makes a difference for you. I also think another very helpful hack that I teach all of my patients is learning a breathwork exercise. Because if you ever get that feeling of overwhelm and anxiety, it's an easy thing that you can practice on your own to help get your mind and body out of that state of angst. So just learning a breathwork exercise can be very powerful. Another tool that I use for anxiety is I have a selenite necklace. I don't think I have it here next to me. But when I'm feeling a lot of anxiety, one of the first things I do is I ask myself, is this anxiety mine? Is it my own? Or does it belong to somebody else? Is this somebody else's anxiety that is coming to me? I can feel other people's Mm -hmm. energy, especially if it's being directed at me. Right. Right. And so I'll wear this selenite necklace and either try to think of it as a protector that it absorbs Mm. outside energy and that if it's coming to me, it can go into that stone. Mm -hmm. Or if I think it's my own, I'll just hold it and kind of like breathe Mm -hmm. that anxiety Mm -hmm. into the stone and think in my thoughts about putting that energy and that anxiety into that crystal for it to be absorbed and removed out of my physical body so that I can function better. I love that. The fact that it is something that's part of your belief system and it's helped you, I think is key. People use 
different experiences or different ways that they have found in the world to almost, you know, either protect themselves or to fend off certain negativity, or especially if they're sensitive human beings and they are receptive to the outside world. They can often pick up on energies or negativity or upsetting thoughts or feelings. We know our microbes are responsive, so you, you want to be protective over what affects our body and mind. I love the fact that you have found these unique ways to kind of navigate the world that makes it easier for you. And I think we each need to do that. Yeah, everybody has to find their own practices and Special rituals. Practice. But it's, yeah. we have to step outside of our, it's almost like we have comfort in the discomfort at times. And we have to get out of our comfort zones to do something different. If you want something to change, then you have to change. You have to change yes. what you're doing. <laughs> and it's not going to so change it, on its own. Yeah. yeah, if you're feeling lonely, pick up the phone and mm-hmm. do a Zoom call or a FaceTime or whatever it is that works for you. But that takes energy. It takes effort. But maybe it's... If we're doing it enough, we start to feel those benefits and that positive return on that investment of that time and energy. And that can be a motivator to keep going. So I love all these different tips, but I would love to leave our Sakara Light listeners today with some light work. What would you give our listeners for some light work to take away today? I think we should be asking ourselves, is there one habit, one food? Maybe when gym shut down, we we exercised different. Maybe we haven't been keeping up with our hydration. But what is that one thing that's bothering you? And if it's food related and it may be related to how you're feeling, maybe we can think about changing that, tweaking it, adjusting it. And I would love to challenge people to try that for a week and see if they feel better. Maybe they'll sleep better. Maybe they'll feel calmer. Maybe they'll, you know, wake up more refreshed in the morning, not wake up with angst. So I would love for people to think about that. I love that. Be your own investigator. Nobody knows you better than you. So yeah, trust if there's something that comes to mind that maybe you should be doing a little differently, try it. Yeah. Right? Correct. Exactly. And observe what happens. That's such a great reminder. Well, thank you, Dr. Uma. Always a pleasure speaking with you. Congrats on your new book. Thank you. Yeah, I hope that it can be helpful to so many people who might be needing that support with their anxiety and mood. Thanks so much, Whitney. It's always lovely to talk with you. 